0: You are now listening to the Verified Phenoms podcast. In this show, we speak with individuals who have come from all walks of life and have overcome the mental limitations of imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and overthinking. Get your notebook ready and stay tuned to learn how you can win your mental battles and become a Verified Phenom as well. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Verified Phenoms. We are still in the season of talking to real people that have had real results that are getting to the next stage of their life. And today we have with us Sador. He is a CRO and managing partner at Jafton and an angel investor at Fathom AI. Sador has experience running a software development agency working with Fortune 500 companies. He's been the youngest speaker to ever perform in the biggest business forum called Synergy Global and the biggest podcast conference called Podcast Movement, where he spoke on people like Mark Cuban, Gary Vee, and Richard Branson. So Dor, Thank you so much for taking time out of your Monday on this, on this Monday, right, <laughs> to be able to come on the show with us today. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you. How about yourself? I know. I am doing pretty good. Um, I wish I would have had a little bit more sleep last night, but, you know, we're here now. So (laughs) we're going to go ahead uh, and have a great week. I'm very excited for it. For sure. i like to start off the show with... uh, I actually forgot to tell you this when we were talking just briefly. He said, what? Uh, (laughs) I like to start off with some rapid fire questions just to get the flow of everything going. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, sure. All right. If you could visit any fictional world from a book or movie, where would you go? Harry Potter. Hmm. Was one skill a hobby that you've always want to learn, but you never have had the time to learn it? Skill. Probably drawing. It would be what? Drawing. Ooh, okay. If you could eliminate any one human limitation, like sleeping, uh, aging, or eating, anything of
1: that nature, what would it be and why? Uh, I'd want to probably eliminate all of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be perfect, but uh, probably aging. Aging is something I'm excited about, like that humanity's trying to tackle, and you know um, living longer, I think would be cool.
0: I did think I just saw an article about that recently uh what's the most profound piece of advice that you've ever heard, and how was it uh, so impactful to
1: you? Probably the quote from Atomic Habits that you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems, so how important systems are. To me, it was very, very impactful. I have it on my wall and this is just how I tried to structure my life around, you know.
0: Hmm. James Clear, that's the gym. If yeah. you can invent new holiday, what would it be?
1: Oh. Entrepreneur's Day.
0: <laughs> oh, I like that one. All right. And last one, if you could talk to any animal, what would it be? Hmm. Monkeys,
1: probably. Monkeys. Why monkeys? Because they're closest relative to humans and uh, wonder how they feel, you know, not evolving <laughs> to to humans. I can understand that. I think if I had to choose any
0: animal, I think I would say squirrels. I just mm. want to know why are they always deciding to run into the street at the last second when they <laughs> see all the cars driving by? Like, come on now. <laughs> they need They need a stop sign. And out yeah. of everybody, they need a stop
1: sign for sure. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Big, Biggest risk takers.
0: Yeah, biggest risk takers. Um, and speaking of risk takers, so
1: you have been in business for how many years now? Well, I identify as an entrepreneur since age 10 when I started making my first money in middle school. So that would be 15 years. 15, middle school. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. So this,
0: this sounds like a very familiar story from a lot of people that I've either interviewed or I just know. Uh, personally, I was I was playing soccer in high school and I used to go to Costco and just like Sam's Club and buy a whole bunch of soda and like snacks because we didn't have a vending machine. And so I would just throw all the snacks in my duffel bag and I was just selling them in the back of the classroom, <laughs> um, you know, to all the uh, rest of my peers. So was that what you were doing? yeah
1: similar uh but I did the same thing with video games at the age of 10 like I would video yeah games. yeah and I, and I used to like sell them like virtually like from my phone to another phone I could like send it via Bluetooth and infinite distribution you know um and a hundred percent margin because I don't have no cost to distribute this next unit of the game you know it was all virtual so I had to ask what year was this that was 2008.
0: What games were you sending from your phone in 2008 via Bluetooth?
1: It was the phone games. We remember the games uh, on our phones, like Nokia phones, the Sony Ericsson, those times. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, You could do that? Yeah. So I figured out a way because uh, there was only two ways to do that back then. You could either download from online and many people didn't have internet at home or just did not use it. Or the second most popular way was there used to be these shops where you would come to internet shop and they would sell you each game, you know, they would plug your phone via cable to their computer and they would like upload the game to your phone. That was the way to go. And they would charge you per game. And they had this, one of these shops next to our school. Uh, But I figured out a way how to do that from phone to phone because I, yeah, the, the trick was if you didn't install the file to your phone, you could send that as a file via Bluetooth to another phone and then unpack it there. And you could only do that on Sony Ericsson phones. You couldn't do that on Nokia's. So I took advantage of that. That's dope. Did you ever, by any chance, did you ever play Pokemon? Uh, No, to be honest. Uh, I
0: was about to say, so um, with like the very early versions of Pokemon, there was something very similar with the same concept. Like you can only get certain like Pokemons, or like go to a certain maps um, within the game by going to like a, a, sh- a, not just like a shop, but it was like an event. And mm. they would have to wires, like not wires, like wire transfer it to your Game Boy. Um, oh. And then the only other way anybody else could get it is if you, you know, transfer to, uh, to them in the same concept.
1: That is cool. So h- how much were you selling the games for? So in the local currency, they were selling it at five hundred. And I was selling it at 300, you know, cutting the price mm-hmm. down a little bit. At the time, it was probably a quarter of a dollar, you know. Mm-hmm. So around that. But, you know, the other shop was selling it at 50 cents. I was selling it at a quarter, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: That's cool. So this started your entrepreneurship journey. Yep. If you were already doing that in middle school, what were you doing in high school? <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, high school actually started. You know, uh, I mean, at 16, I think I had like um, a small online shop, like selling things from the US back to Uzbekistan. And then when I went here, so at the age of 16, I came to the US and then I continued that for some time. And then I shut it down because, you know, then it got a little harder because I was focusing on my school. Uh, so I took a pause for a little bit. But I always did something to make money, you know, I always did like either an online shop or, you know, reselling things or things of that nature um, Mm -hmm. while taking some pause in between. Mm.
0: How was the transition for you coming to the uh, to the US? It was
1: tough at first, especially because, you know, I spoke the language already, but Mm -hmm. I didn't you know, I wasn't familiar with the with the culture and all that. So. It was tough, but lucky for me, I was in an international school. So I had kids that weren't from my country, but they were from Russia. And Mm because I grew up speaking Russian uh, back home, I could, you know, kind of be friends with them easier rather than like with Americans. It was harder because it was just different cultures. So it it took some time, took about two months for me to get really comfortable. But I still remember that time when I was like. I just got dropped off at at the school. It was a boarding school, too, so I had to live Mm -hmm. there. And I came Mm -hmm. without my parents, right? So I was on my own in a boarding school. Like, my sister was, like, in New York. I was in Massachusetts. Like, I could go visit my sister on holidays, but that's pretty much it. And I didn't have any other family member. But, you know, it really, like, it makes you mature real quick. You know, I matured very fast because... For the first time in my life, I had to do my own laundry. I had to take care of my own schedule and all that. Uh, so it was it was a good experience. It was definitely something that really shaped me well and, and uh, made me more mature. And for all that happening,
0: you know, coming to a new country around, you know, 16 years old, teenager. Yeah. For anybody that's listening to this right now, and maybe they're about to enter their own transitional phase in life, where they're about to enter an entirely new environment did you have any fears that you were experiencing or just anything that you were just battling every single day as you took those two months to really get comfortable in your environment?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, I was battling just kind of being homesick, you know, I was battling uh, the new educational system that I wasn't very familiar with, you know, a little bit of language barrier, maybe in some ways, but it wasn't too big of a deal. Um, and then just, just being in a new environment overall, I mean, switching schools, I mean, I switched a lot of mm-hmm. schools, but every time you do it a stress, right. Cause it's a new community. You have to like find your spot there. You have to find your, especially kids, you know, in school, they are, uh, they're tough because they, they always, it's like a survivorship type of thing. And, um, you know, so it, it was definitely tough and then there was some struggles, but, um, I, I'm glad I, I, fi- I was able to figure it out and stayed because some kids actually went back home. You know, I remember like some of the classmates, like they, they couldn't take it. You know, they were too homesick and just couldn't, couldn't find their spot. And they went back home and you know, I'm, I'm happy I sticked around. Yeah. Love
0: it. Out of curiosity, uh, you were saying also that there were a lot of different students that spoke different languages. Did you ever start learning
1: any of the languages that they spoke? I wish I did probably with Spanish, but not really, no. My focus was, like, because I was sticking to my own, like, community of, like, Russian-speaking kids. So, Mm -hmm. didn't really get to do that. A little bit of Turkish, maybe, because I, like, was friends with some Turkish kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And Turkish is similar to Uzbek, right? So, it's easy Mm -hmm. to learn. So, I started a little bit of, you know, practicing Turkish, but not much, to be honest, no. If you could learn another language, just instantly, which one would it be? It'd first be Spanish. Hmm. Okay, I okay, know a okay. little bit of living in Miami now, but uh, <laughs> <a little more. laughs>
0: so I got to ask you, um, we had a moment to talk about this earlier. I think it's really cool that you had an opportunity to go to this boarding school and just interact with a lot of different people, of just, you know, different nationalities. And as a person that grows into their own career and they are essentially, you know, become an entrepreneur or just. Maybe they're not entrepreneur, but they're just within their own career, their own industry. Networking is something that's very huge. And so when you're networking, you could be talking to anybody that has any type of experience, any type of background, all things of that nature. And it could be very intimidating when you are networking. So as you've continued to mature, you know, and grow as an individual, how has networking been for you since you kind of got exposure? To just getting to know with
1: different people, different backgrounds when you were younger? Yeah, so I started really actively diving into networking at the age of, I think it was 18. Uh, When I was in my first year in college, I just got to New York City. So New City, I wanted to meet new people and everything. But yeah, every time I went at first, especially, you know, it it was hard because I had no experience like going on formal events. And Everybody else around me was much older than me. I was probably the youngest in the crowd, 18-year-old, you know, so I had that, you know, um, a little bit of imposter syndrome, right? Because, like, I I didn't know what to talk about. I'm in college, and I I was starting uh, a new Shopify store at the time. And, you know, I could talk a little bit about that and and something else. But it it was a little tough. But, you know, everything comes with practice. I mean, to this day right now, I'm actually the organizer of networking events here. In Miami, you know, we have a networking event that we run every Tuesday on AI. So I've definitely gotten much better at it. But Mm -hmm. it took some time until I was, even when I was doing something already, you know, like a year or two after when I was already running a business, and had something profitable, I had a hard time just like articulating and owning that I'm a business owner. And I would say, hey, what do you do type of questions? I would answer like, Oh well, I'm I'm with this company, blah blah blah. I guess like the answer was so like not confident that people would ask me again, like, hey, oh, sorry, you're a programmer? No, I'm actually, you know, one of the owners. Mm. And then that the people were like, oh wow, okay, cool. But you know, I, it was hard to like kind of own it up until some point, I, I guess, because I was afraid of other people's perception of me that a this guy is young. Although, if anything, I realize now people do admire that actually instead of like you know, being judgmental or anything. But at the time it was, it was, I, I didn't have that confidence to own it. you know. Mm.
0: So how long did it take you to really start to own up to that confidence or build that confidence?
1: I'd say even up until like this year, maybe, you know, even, oh, wow. even last year, I guess, I guess, yeah, it, it was hard for me to kind of like really say it, I guess, confidently, it took some practice, conscious practice for me to start actually refining this answer. This specific answer, when people ask you like, for the first time, what do you do? Mm -hmm. That answer, I guess for me, like, it took some time for me to refine it. And now I notice actually when I respond this year, people understand properly, right? But before it was like, they they weren't clear. Oh, so what's your role again within the company after like five minutes into conversation, right? Mm -hmm. so I would say pretty long time. I mean, what when I get involved with Jafton, that was like four and a half years ago. So almost like three and a half years, I, it, it took about, you know, for me to really own it up. Yeah. Mm.
0: I can relate to that so much. I, I've been working in broadcast, like television for about 12 years now. And so I started in high school. I was 14 years old. And so I was also always the youngest person. Whenever I was on site somewhere, everybody else that works in broadcasts is typically, honestly, like 35 plus. Like mm-hmm. they are established in the industry. Then you have this 18, 19 year old that comes out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, I have producer experience. I know how to direct a show, all this type of stuff. And I was just like, yeah, I'll just be grip. And for anybody that doesn't know what grip is, it's essentially, the person that just holds the cable for the camera operator. (laughs) So I just, I didn't have that confidence to really let people know the expertise that I had of somebody that's in broadcast television at such a young age and be like, yeah, I can produce a show actually, even though I'm only 19 years old. So eventually, you know, after I did a couple of shows and all things of that nature and just continue to do it, I gained that confidence myself to be able to eventually tell people like, yeah, I'm a producer. So when it came to your journey, you know, three and a half years now, you're finally getting the confidence to say it. You were saying that it was almost like a, a, a mental shift to be able to gain that confidence. What were some of those practices that you were in tension
1: with to gain that confidence? Yeah. So it was mainly just kind of in my head uh, first, mm-hmm. practicing this this response, right? I mean going back to how i responded when people got confused I'm, i i used to analyze to be like all right what did i say that was confusing you know how do i start for example i could say something like when when i used to maybe say when they asked me like what do you do say i would say agency software development agency so like that doesn't say what's your role within that agency right mm. but then that's naturally you know would confuse people be like okay oh so you're a programmer or this and that. So now how I started is I flipped it to saying, first, I identify as an entrepreneur. So I say entrepreneur. And I say, I'm the co-owner of Jafton.com. And then what Jafton.com comes after I describe that, right? So I I used to start with what company does and I kind of leave off, like mumble what my role was (laughs) within it. And and now it's actually the opposite. I say my role. First, I say my own identity. I say Mm -hmm. I'm an entrepreneur. So that makes it clear first. You pause it, you know, and then you say, you know, this and that role, you know, after that. So um, it, it was that like mental practice in my head and then applying and practicing it actually when I go in person and, and speak to people and testing, just, you know, just testing. And then I realized, okay, when I say, when I start with the word entrepreneur and then I say co-owner, so I say the role and identity first, then people actually understanding. So it was this practice that really made it Different then I just stick to it you know because that that worked out yeah identity that's huge
0: that's definitely huge i I think that has a lot to be able to gain confidence within the imposter syndrome right being able to know exactly who you are and what you do and that's something that I believe personally. Within the last two years, I've been gaining my own personal identity, and it's been so helpful in so many ways to just be able to know yourself, just like, you know what? I'm a podcaster, right? Before, let's just say even before this year, I probably never told people that, but now that I have about 90 plus episodes I've recorded, you know, nearing 100, it's kind of hard to ignore that type of identity. And... To be able to receive feedback over the years, I'm like, you know what? Yes, I'm a podcaster. And that helps when talking to people as well. Same thing when um, I talk to people about being an author. At first, when I wrote my first book, I didn't necessarily want to tell people that I was an author. because I'm going to be honest. I'm a ho- I'm not a good writer. <laughs> I'm not. like If a person wanted to read my writing, you're just like, huh. But I eventually realized it was the content inside the book, not necessarily like, how it was written, the quality of it but the content and the impact it had on other people's lives is what made me an
1: author. So, you know, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's, um, you know, it's like with identity, like James Clear says in the book, you know, you, every time you you first pick the identity and then every time you do an action that supports that identity, you're casting votes to support that identity in your own head. Right. So, by you identifying as an author first, but not being able to own it right away, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because then, you know, you have to cast some votes by every time you write that book, you, you are an author. You know, every mm-hmm. time you record a podcast, you are a podcaster, right? And then once you record 90 times, then you definitely own that in your head that you're a podcaster, right? Right. Out of curiosity, what
0: would you say are your top three books that you think everybody should read?
1: So as you probably guessed it, yeah, the, you know, Atomic Habits Habits definitely one (laughs) of the (laughs) three. Yeah. If we're talking to everybody, I would just talk self-development, but I would probably just talk more about like entrepreneurs, you know, listening is that that's like the closest to me. Right. So if you're an entrepreneur, I would say um, either way, you know, Atomic Habits is definitely like the foundation for everybody. Um, But for entrepreneurs, I would, I would read lean startup is definitely a, a must read because, defines what a uh, proper minimum viable product is and everybody should know it, if, whether you're in tech or not, actually, right? It's just a really good concept. And then the third one would probably be um, Influence the, mm. by Robert, Robert Cialdini. It's a book about psychology and just psychology of influence.
0: Mm. Lean Startup, an MVP, yeah. a minimum viable product that, when I learned what that was, I was like, this is genius. Like the concept essentially. And for anybody that doesn't know what I mean by that or what we mean by that is essentially you have to figure out what is the bare minimum that you need to get something started. And in terms of, you know, let's just talk about overthinking and perfectionism here. You know, a lot of people think they need all the moving pieces to get you know, the video recorded, the podcast started, the business started, all things of that nature. When in reality, let's just talk about four podcasts for, for uh, one second. You can use the voice memo app on your phone <laughs> and start recording there and just clean it up with, uh, you know, now with AI being so popular, there are AI softwares that can clean up your audio for free and you find a free hosting platform, and now you start your podcast. You don't have to have a camera, a microphone, all things of that nature. The MVP, the minimum viable product, or um, is simply something that you already own. So when it comes to, let's just say business, you know, what have you had to go through in terms of like an MVP? Like, did you experience like a lot of uh, you know, perfectionism? Did you think that you had to have it all built out? How was that process for you?
1: Yeah, really good question. So, yeah, when I was first starting out with my own products, I definitely had that little bit of overthinking and just kind of, you know, paralysis through analysis type of thing. But, yeah, for example, like when I was launching um, even my, um, like I was trying to launch a ride-hailing app, back in Uzbekistan at one point, like kind of a Uber competitor of sorts. And you know, I ended up never launching it because it was just so long for me to just like iterate and iterate and improve the product and this and that. So thank God I learned the lessons quickly. Right now I'm actually one thing I pride myself in is like being able to launch an MVP very quick and very simply, you know, and define the MVP before even like launching the MVP, you know, defining what your MVP properly mvp is is actually a very important thing um and many people actually overthink it and they and they misunderstand what an mvp is you know m- most people think mvp is just a simpler version of the full product no it's not it, it's it has to be like you said it's the bare minimum of your product right um but i used to have those things you know and uh, and i and i see that to this day in my clients every day like i said you know they just think, they overthink, they they say it's an MVP, but it's really not, you know, because they add so many different things in that, that that are not necessary for the MVP to be launched. Um, and I think why that happens is because people have a fear of launching something that they think might not be good enough, mm-hmm. right? And so they try to compensate that by adding more and more and more features into the product, Right. And that's just not the way to go, so I would say to this day i, I I've learned my own lesson for myself, but I unfortunately I witness that every day with my clients. Mm. How are you able to help them to truly understand what their MVP is? I, I try to explain it really all the time. I, I explain it, you know, and people some people receive it well, some people don't. And I would say unfortunately, more, more than half the people don't perceive it well. They think that I'm just trying to simplify and get things done quickly and take a shortcut. But, you know, I I let them decide at the end because I don't want to be responsible for somebody else's decision. I do my best to, you know, influence that and help. But, you know, to a certain extent, like because people just, you know, if if it fails then and you were the one who convinced the person to uh, simplify and reduce the features, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd have that responsibility. Right.
0: Mm. So when it comes to your own MVP, what is that mental process for you?
1: I try to define it with, you know, I I ask myself if I were to strip away everything and just leave one feature and then describe that one, the product with that one feature in one sentence, how would I describe it? Right. Mm. That's the first question I ask. Uh, For example, recent product we launched um, called lando ai it's in the uh, generative ai space the vision there is to be able to you know describe to ai what kind of software or app you want to build and then it just spits it out right that's the vision i mean to build something like that it would take a long time to, to build right so i simplified it i said if we were to strip away everything how would we build it and i brought it down to like okay what's the simplest thing to build it's a website okay what's the simplest website to build It's a landing page. What's the simplest landing page to build? You know, I'm going down this rabbit hole and the answer for me was a landing page for an app, right? Like a marketing, an app marketing landing page. And so we brought it down to that. And then what's the simplest way to describe an app? And the simplest way to describe that was to just throw in a link from app store And then let the AI just read the page, right? Without you even having to describe. So at the end, it actually became a really cool product because it became one-click website generator. And it generates a website in less than 30 seconds. All you have to do is just throw in a link to App Store. And it reads the page and generates a marketing website for that app, right? But see, even though the vision is to one day be able to like describe an app that you want, and effort to produce that app. We're not there yet. The MVP was just like asking myself a question like, what's the simple ways, simplest way to do this? What's the simple way to do this again? So going down this rabbit hole to simplify and simplify and simplify and strip it down to the core. But at the same time, it's important to realize that whatever you have left at the end, that one feature has to be something unique and new enough for the market that the market has not seen. You know, if you strip away everything and leave something that the market has already seen, that's not really an MVP, you know, has to be something unique at the end, but everything else you can
0: strip away. We're not there yet. I think that was so powerful because that's, that's what an MVP is. You understand that you got it started, but you still have in mind of where you want to go but you're still in the process. For a lot of people that are in, let's just say they're a content creator, they're a business owner, you know, anything, and they have this goal, how long, well, how long would you say, based on your experience and others that you've been around, if you have mentors and, you know, things of that nature, would you say it could take to get to where you want to go? Because I think that yes is so important. Because a lot of people, you know, maybe the audience, they think that they need to be there in six months, three months, maybe even a year. But the fact that you're saying, yeah, and you're still in this process right now, I would love to hear your perspective on that.
1: Yeah, that's another thing I was able to learn, you know, is that uh, everything takes time and and you got to be patient, you know. So right now, I mentally prepare myself for five years Every time I start something new, you know, I say to myself, this will take five years to really get there. At the same time, I don't sleep on time and just, you know, don't, you know, slow myself down. It doesn't mean I have to be slow. It doesn't mean that everything has to happen in five years and until five years, nothing will happen, right? But it's a gradual process. Like uh, one of my favorite entrepreneurs, Gary Vee says, micro patience, micro speed, Right. So like in the day to day, you have to be super, super fast. And then the macro, you have to be patient, patient. And that's the key for me. Right. So mentally preparing for myself for five years and then on the day to day, still, you know, putting those goals in and iterating on them on the short term as well.
0: Five years to some people that may seem like a long time,
1: but to others, it may be
0: really, really short
1: really really yeah short. that's another thing that uh my business partner and i were discussing recently you know to me five years still seems a lot you know it doesn't seem like a small time because it's like i'm 25 so it's like 20 percent of my life think of it this way right for for him when he's 40 it's less you know it's like what two le- less than uh that's about one eighth of his life right so like it's a lot less, so it, it it all comes down to proportion. I think the older you get, the better you get with with time, the better relationship you have with time, you know, because you've already lived so much and you've seen time go by quick. So for you, like a couple of years, may not seem as 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 slow as you know. For like, if I tell five years to my ten year old mm-hmm. uh, nephew, it's fifty percent of his life, So You'll yeah. say, "No way! This is so," <laughs> <long."> you know. <laughs> so it's all relative, you know. Like yesterday, he was saying uh you met one of these kids like in the neighborhood and i'm saying why are you not friends with him he's like well because he's seven years old and i'm nine (laughs) you know (laughs) and to him that that two-year difference is like huge you know yeah i understand why because that's like a big portion of his life you know Mm. first of all i didn't realize you were 25
0: i'm 20 28 no 27 I don't know I stopped honestly once i hit twenty five <laughs> I stopped counting <laughs> I stopped counting once I hit twenty five and i I will start counting again once I hit thirty. <laughs> but what you said is so true because um once I hit let's just say like twenty one or so, time just kind of it just felt a little different like once I entered different stages of life, it just it started to move for me a little bit faster and one thing I definitely think it helps once you have a certain clarity around what you want to do, because when you don't have clarity, you're kind of just going with the like in the motions of just like not necessarily like experiencing life, but just going through it. But once and, you know, let me know your perspective on this. Like Once you kind of know what you want to do, time seems like as if it starts to move faster because you're more attention with your your daily routine. You know, your habits and all things of that nature.
1: For sure. For sure. It's because, you know, you, you don't have the anxiety of like, first of all, not knowing it brings you a lot of anxiety, right? So when you know you have a goal and you have that deadline, you know, you become comfortable with that. You have to mentally accept that first, right? Then, of course, yeah, time moves faster. It does it, it because you first of all, you start enjoying the process, right? Because mm. you eliminate that anxiety of like not knowing uh where you're going, right? Um you have a clear goal, you 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 believe in it and you you're going there like with much more joy. So definitely it doesn't seem when does a time seem slow is 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 when we when we're bored, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you had nothing to do a whole day and you, you were locked up in a room and there's nothing to do, time would just slow down so so much, right? Mm-hmm. On the contrary, if you have so much to do then the time goes by, right? So it's all about the intensity of of what you're doing within that time, right? And having that clear deadline in, in your head that uh, this will take X amount of years. And, and for sure, time will not seem slow and it will go fast, by mm-hmm. fast.
0: One thing when it comes to, you know, perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and, um, you know, even anxiety, having clarity of, what you want can sometimes eliminate all of those things. I would love to know, how do you find your clarity?
1: I gotta be honest. I still struggle with that. You know, mm-hmm. I, um, actually my, yeah, my business partner and I were like laughing the other day that he feels like I have bipolar sensation. <laughs> because, like, I, I change my mind all the time, mm-hmm. you know. It doesn't mean that I don't have clarity, but it, it's something that I, you know, I can I can be very excited about one product one day and then switch my, you know, excitement to something else. Um, but I would say on an overall scale, you know, I'm able to stay focused on one thing, you know, while having a little bit of distractions in here and there. I think it's more of an entrepreneurial thing where you have this, what's called the uh, shiny object syndrome, right? <laughs> yeah, where yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, know, you want to pursue something else. You want to pursue something else all the time. Um, for me, having that clarity again comes from like just mentally having accepted that I'm not going to quit this business until we achieve X in valuation, for example, right? Mm. And I, I know what that number for me is. I know we're getting there. So to me, seeing the progress over the years that we're getting there and having that. That goal over there is is what makes creates that clarity because otherwise I would have been distracted and trying five new things every week. You know, it's it wouldn't work out. So I would say just tying it to a clear goal and again mentally accepting the timeline it will take to get there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Tying it to a clear goal. Speaking of which, I
0: only have about two more questions because again I want to respect your time here. So the first one is going to be, (laughs) considering about 20% of your life, what was success to you five years ago? And what would you say success is to you now?
1: It's probably relatively the same. I mean, maybe just, you know, five years ago was more like monetary and finance type of thing. So if anything, that stayed, but I I added more things to that definition of success. Especially like three years ago when I was going through this coaching uh session, first personal development coaching session, where we had to define our values. Right. Mm-hmm. And it did define one of my core values being family. Right. So for me, like having a having built my own like happy family is is part of success that I might have not. Th- thought about five years ago probably haven't yeah uh, it was more like obsessing over money and just like you know that which again you know money-wise and finance-wise still there you know there's still some goals that I have to hit but i would say i've added more things like yeah family definitely one of them um health is a big one health yeah being being healthy and just the healthiest version of myself throughout my life i used to think of like I, I I can just bail on my health right now and just like work 20 hours and just take care of it later. Mm. I realize it will it will fi- uh, backfire if I do that. So trying to balance that as well, like while working, still taking care of my health. So I'd say these three aspects, these two more aspects got added, right, family and health to the definition of success. And I'm sure there'll be more added within years.
0: Yeah, you know, as
1: you grow, you know, the version of success you will also grow as
0: well. So for anybody that maybe your age, you know, they're 25 and they're looking to be maybe in the stage of life that you're in right now, what advice would you give to them?
1: One thing that can really change your life real quickly, no matter where you are, is is meeting the right people, you know? For me, for example, yeah, I was meeting certain right people. Like I met Babir at the right time, you know, that changed my life. And uh, I met a few other people that really influenced me. So I would say prioritize networking, prioritize strategic networking, meaning if you met the right person, stick to them and and try to like nourish that relationship. And sometimes some of the people you want to be close with you got to actively go seek them out. And, and, you know, they may not really be as actively looking for you, but if you put an effort, you know, you can really get into their circle, so to say, right? So that's a say strategic networking is one thing that I would focus on if you want to kind of level up to, to a certain level. You know, it's like that saying, you're the average of five people mm-hmm. that you surround yourself with, right? Again, just can't be understated. It's just a golden rule to live by you know, audit your inner circle and then try to take it to the next level strategically, actively, proactively, you know, because, again, just meeting one right person at a networking event is not enough. You have to then follow up with them. You have to stay in touch with them. You have to, like, invite them for coffee. If they don't go, you got to invite again. You got to be proactive. You got to do some things, like, just to, like, kind of nourish and nourish and nourish that relationship Mm -hmm. until, you know, it becomes close enough. Mm -hmm. And lastly, how can people find you and how can they support you? If you can find me online if you just type in my name on Google, Sardoric Akhmedov. Um, biggest, most active platform I'm on is is LinkedIn. So if you just text me on LinkedIn, I'd be happy to respond. And uh, yeah, any, any other social media, Instagram, X, these are my main, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Sador, I want to say again, thank you so much for taking time out of your Monday morning to be with us today. You dropped so many gems;
1: it was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Phenom, for having me. I really enjoy being here, and uh, yeah, looking forward to coming back to this podcast in a few years and share more knowledge and catching up with yourself.
0: We'll have to see where uh, success to you is five years from now, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, let's, well, let's revisit that <laughs> again, y'all. This has been another episode of AirPod Phenoms. I'm your host. Phenom, and we will catch you on the very next episode.